Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Can you believe it? It's been four months since we talked about this. I know. You've been planning way ahead. <laughs> way ahead. I was like, I know, I know Dr. Jack is going to be busy. So I got to get her with a date right away. You've been busy. I like that every week you've got something going on and it's different speakers. So it's awesome. Yes. In the beginning, when I started this, I said, I'll do it once a month. And then it happened to be twice a month. And then now we have one like almost every week. And thank you so much for saying yes. And actually, you're my first guest who's outside the United States. Can you believe that? No. Wow, I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm honored. Thank you so much. Dr. Jacqueline Zai, if you could please introduce yourself to everybody tonight. Thank you. Yes, I'm a physician. I practice in Vancouver in BC. So it's barely outside of the United States, right? It's not that yeah. far. <laughs> it's Canada, right there. Almost, almost the United States. Yeah. And I practice mostly aesthetic medicine. So a lot of the, I guess now very popular anti-aging, dermal fillers, Botox, rejuvenation, rejuvenation. So I guess it's a pretty niche sector of medicine right yeah that's what i do yeah and can you tell us how was your training and your education up to this point a main reason why you also started this project was you know to encourage pre-med or medical or even other health profession students to see how the journey really is for everybody yeah so you know i always say to everybody who starts the medical career that we should go in with an open mind right? I don't think when I went into medicine, I definitely did not talk to the interviewer and said, I want to go in and do aesthetic yeah. medicine. Yeah. And I don't think that was something that was the front of my mind at that point. Uh, it just kind of evolved mm -hmm. and you get exposed to different sectors of medicine. And I was always very passionate about um, skin health and I was always very artsy. So eventually as time evolved and I got exposed and I really love what I do and I realized that I was very good at the, that part, initially part time and they just evolved mm -hmm. full time. And I absolutely love it. I think it's kind of like there's very small sectors of medicine that really makes people feel good because mm -hmm. oftentimes we encounter people at the lowest points of their lives, yeah. right? In emergency rooms at the end of their lives mm -hmm. or on the med surge unit. It's a hard experience. But I, mm -hmm. I think my field, we're lucky, we're often trying to uplift people. Yeah. And it's a lot of it is preventative. So it's kind of a it's a really nice approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, to have reached the point where you're finally practicing and uplifting others, it took a long time to get there, education, yeah. training, right? And where did that motivation come from? And where did that first initial pursuit of like, oh, I want to become a physician? Did you have any family member or friends or any personal experience that you were like, I'm going to be a physician one day? Yeah, my parents, I guess you always think about mm. what your parents do. Yeah. Uh, my parents weren't physicians, but mm -hmm. we have physicians in the family. I would say personally, how I became interested in medicine is really from my experiences being exposed to probably just someone that was really close to me mm -hmm. that was quite sick. And so I realized I really love helping people and I love that kind of day-to-day -day social experience. And I myself mm -hmm. am an extrovert. So I, I can't, I didn't see a career in radiology or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where you so don't see I, the light. <laughs> yes, that's right. And you know what? I, I realized we're actually a very traditional career, right? We kind of, it's a service-based field, really about things that are as old as you know the fevers and chills and, and making people feel better and then the more yeah. modern medicine so i just i think just the drive from loving interacting with people that was the initial drive and also seeing i guess medicine is very different depending on you can be a microbiologist and be a medicine yeah. and, yeah. 
and working with people is always behind my main drive. I agree. That being said, do you have any regrets in entering this field at all? That, like I said, it's so long and so arduous, so much studying involved, so much time involved. Do you have regrets at the end of it all? Um, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of that. I guess I love my job. It did come a lot with a lot of years of mm-hmm. sacrifice. And I, I know you're applying to medical school, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. It does feel like a go, go, go type of career. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you probably know what you're getting into. And mm-hmm. if you're the kind of personality that loves it, it works. But I think it's been hard sometimes to kind mm-hmm. of have a balance with yeah. home life, family. Mm-hmm. I guess you can't have it all at mm-hmm. one time but you do become stronger from mm-hmm. it as well from management. Mm-hmm. I agree. and the field of medical aesthetics where did that root from like you said not in the interview you weren't going to be like i want to become <laughs> in medical aesthetics is there a point where you realized oh this is what i want to be uplifting people through helping them with their skin and all of those sorts Yeah, so my first exposure from a personal level, I had really, really bad TMJ pain. Probably this has been going on for 20-something years, like when I was Mm -hmm. a teenager, a really Mm -hmm. young teen. I had really terrible TMJ pain. And I -hmm. I think those were still early days, right, Mm -hmm. for using neuromodulators to treat Mm -hmm. it. And I really did everything. (laughs) dentist i went to a physiotherapist i i went to see my family doctor they did x-ray mm-hmm. there was all these exercises these massages mm-hmm. and just nothing was helping and eventually i was able to get a little bit of neuromodulators and mm-hmm. autobotulinum toxins or mm-hmm. box in my mm-hmm. jawline and it just really helped me a lot mm-hmm. and really like my first patients that i did all of this on is really people who had hyperhidrosis like heavy mm-hmm. sweating or migraines. And they kind mm-hmm. of went from there. So like it kind of goes hand in hand with dermal fillers. Yeah. Sometimes when you do these things, you want to kind of restore the face with a little bit of dermal filler. I guess because I always did art, I kind of just did a lot more of it. Then a big clinic asked me to join the team. Mm-hmm. And then I, it just became my full-time job. That's amazing. And I actually wanted to leave this on whenever I have someone from aesthetics or cosmetics or dermatology coming in. It's the concept of stigma against all of these procedures, right? Or just the area of cosmetic as a whole. We see like from your experience of having TMJ and it being helped with um, Botox. As a physician who execute all of these procedures and help people in this expertise, do you think there is a fine line between medicine and just someone who just wants to enhance something in their body and what the general public might call it pure vanity? Is there a fine line for you, Doc? Between medicine and vanity? Yeah. <laughs> That's a tricky question. <laughs> I think we're all, I'm definitely a little bit vain. Yeah. Um, but to me, I guess cosmetic medicine, right? Being a cosmetic doctor, yeah. aesthetic medicine, whatever you call it, to me is mm-hmm. more, much more about self-confidence and wellness mm-hmm. than it is about vanity. Like I don't, like when you go and do your hair and have your hair cut, do yeah. you go and say, okay, this is about vanity. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's really about kind of looking after your appearance and kind of yeah. and everybody has different things right it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be cosmetic medicine it could mm-hmm. be like one dressed in a really nice dress or you went to the gym and you're doing muscle building or you're mm-hmm. trying to work on your fitness level mm-hmm. 
So that, to me, that's what it's really about. So confidence, wellness, feeling like you have a sense of control um, over how you look, how you feel. Yeah. So to me, there is a bit of a divide. Um, yeah, yeah I, I agree with that, Doug. Actually, the first time that we met virtually, right, was through Dr. Sugai and I's live. I was going to say years ago. It felt like years ago, um, months ago. And you were talking about how underneath all of all of the transfer Botox or fillers, it really is about self-confidence, right? Yeah. There's such an impact just beyond the skin. Even like for you with the TMJ, there is actually a physical aspect to it, right? There is something much deeper than just what the public or the media might call pure vanity, right? The self-esteem that you get from enhancing this or that. And for sure, as a physician, you have so many rewarding patient stories, right? From these procedures that you do. Yeah, definitely. Can you tell us about those moments with patients that remind you, oh, this is why I do this? Like the most rewarding stories, not to put them in the scale or whatnot. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the things about this field is that people, it is a bit like a longitudinal care. There are things where it's kind of a touch point. Where you go and you leave like OB-GYN or maybe mm-hmm. in medicine or mm-hmm. maybe you're doing kind of, you know, one-time consult and it's done. Mm-hmm. Whereas aesthetic medicine, like people sometimes think, oh, it's one and done. It's, it's not quite that. It's more longitudinal. So you see people mm-hmm. go through things. It could be dramatic things, right? Like you've lost somebody or divorces or mm-hmm. something bad has happened. Or sometimes you meet them for the first time at the lowest low of their lives. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we do is sometimes we help people with correcting asymmetry that's the uh, joy mm-hmm. effect of trauma. That's often not talked about. It's, it's not what's on Instagram or social media. Yeah. Or, you know, it's not the glam, of, yeah. but it's a backbone. Mm-hmm. Number one is to restore and to help people. So one of my patients, she has really severe facial asymmetry, and especially mm-hmm. And chin from significant trauma from her ex partner. I know this, you know, you get reminded every day mm-hmm. in front of the mirror of the trauma that's occurred mm-hmm. and happened, or our perception of how we let it mm-hmm. happen. She came in and she was in tears, and, and she mm-hmm. was, it's a really sad story. And mm-hmm. we build it from scratch because she was nervous, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were able to, not with surgery, restore. Mm-hmm out of the volume mm-hmm. and symmetrical kind of original symmetrical face mm-hmm. just a bit of non-surgical movements and she was just so happy with that and she wrote me a letter and it's all mm-hmm. about thanking us and us as a team for helping her refine that sense of control i'm very touched by that and i remind myself every day despite of all the negative vanity mm-hmm. with our field, the ultimate good that we do, right? It's really about mm-hmm. building people from within. Wow, that's such a beautiful story. That's amazing. And I actually want to delve in more into that. So I visited your practice's new website, SparrowMD. Oh, yeah. And one of the subtopics was facial harmony, right? facial harmonization yes and just the word itself sounds so beautiful right just beyond the physical of you know redressing asymmetry or introducing volume again or rejuvenation of the neck or restoration of the face it's really there is a psychosocial aspect to all of this right there's an aspect in the field of aesthetics and cosmetics that goes beyond just the skin that with you just see on a picture or on video, right? And stories yeah. like are so amazing. And uh, even though these might just be not so common cases, or it may be, we do have common cases such as just plain 
aging, right? So when yeah. it comes in, fine lines and wrinkles, wants to get Botox or fillers. And that is my next question. This is a topic that so many people are confused about, Botox and fillers. When does one get each and what are they individually for that? I'm the expert herself. You know, it's, it's a really hard question to answer because we're, and truly age is just a number when it comes to this, right? It depends on genetics, environmental factors, what we've been exposed to, what our expectations are. I will say that traditionally, people who looked for Botox and fillers, because it was a lot more hush-hush as a topic probably around 20, 30 years ago, is people who are in their 30s or, you know, like they're actors and actresses who are trying to maintain mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. Um, would do a little bit of that and now they've gotten older so that the idea is that maybe they're in their 50s because they yeah. started doing it in their 30s and <laughs> the population and i i really think that this generation so i i really i explain to my patients what botox is all the time and i think of it as almost like sunscreen like injectable sunscreen mm -hmm. and i don't say that but i think of it as that mm -hmm. because it's mm -hmm. really a, a lot of patients a lot of my clients are coming in much earlier their early 20s for what we call prejuvenation so they're just mm -hmm. keeping those lines at bay with tiny teeny doses so that they don't get the headaches that are triggered by mm. the Botox. And they also get the benefits of, you know, looking kind of still youthful and keeping everything at bay. Mm -hmm. So there's no hard age. I do not treat anybody under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. Just so that, you know, I feel like it takes some time to kind of mm -hmm. be and appreciate all the content mm -hmm. that comes out of this culture right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that just as far as like i assess their maturity level but i would say you know there's no too early but there's no too late either right yeah and when i started promoting our live one of the main questions i was getting about botox was the safety of it i think people are scared of the name botulinum toxin <laughs> people people think uh yeah. toxin it's just poison and it is a neuromodulator and i know in our in our promo i put in botox and then neuromodulator and a different line so people think it's <laughs> it's different so doc how would you tackle someone who would be asking who doesn't know much about botox what is the meaning of the toxin in its name yeah so you know what this is actually less and less of a question believe. yeah and it perhaps especially in vancouver because mm -hmm. dr carruthers who was the first one that discovered the benefit of botox cosmetically actually practices here no so, right so per capita there's a higher uptake Botox in general, but if people, it's a very rare question that I get yeah. here. I, I think East Coast, I'm, I'm from Toronto and I lived in yeah. New York, so mm -hmm. we're a little bit more stiff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the East Coast. So I, I usually say when people are worried about the toxin, I, I talk about the origin, right? And mm -hmm. we found it in a bacteria, right? Yeah. And then it's considered toxin because it came in such high doses when mm -hmm. you yeah. Um, but really what it is is that it's a naturally occurring protein that's mm -hmm. wrapped with another compound so we call it a toxin but i, I don't i don't i hate saying toxin yeah. I, I say i'm injecting you with toxin, toxin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's just it's, it's, it's right i say neuromodulator it's neuromodulator. Just more representative mm. of what it is it's not a toxin if it's used at very low quantities so when we're thinking about 
when it becomes toxic for us as humans, we're really talking about thousands and tens of thousands of units. Whereas, you know, usually for us, we're using maybe five units, 10 units, mm. 20 units, 50, 60, and that's kind of where we're staying at. What I think of it is really more like a compound that works on the level mm-hmm. of the muscle. So neural modulators, mm-hmm. it works to modulate the mm-hmm. nerve on the muscle. So that's more representative of what it is. Mm-hmm. If someone would like to get fillers, when is the indication for that? Because I think that's where also people get confused. If I want to augment my lips, do I use a filler or a Botox? And it really helps to really explain, right, what Botox is versus what dermal fillers are. Can you talk about how fillers work in the body, Doc? Yeah, so dermal fillers and Botox are quite different. They're completely in my eye, right? And they do different things. So Botox, when we're thinking about expression lines, like things that convey emotions, right? If you're friends because you're angry or worried, if you're raising your brows because you're surprised, you're smiling, you're happy. Those are things that are great. They convey emotions, but then they leave these marks because we become these exaggerated versions of ourselves time right if you work that biceps muscle you're gonna see a bulk so same thing with the facial muscles botox really softens those muscles prevents them from leaving these lines and marks and maybe some uneven texture on your forehead rest of the face right to me they work more on the emotional expression lines whereas fillers are used in different ways to kind of enhance restore and sometimes beautify an area Mm -hmm. so one of my i guess what i do a lot is a lot of restoration work you probably don't look like what you look like when you're 18 and neither do i (laughs) that's okay that's okay but sometimes we look into the mirror and we're like oh i look a little bit more tired and i i I didn't have this line or this pole so a lot of what we can do with dermal filler is because we can restore that volume loss that happens it sometimes it could be the laugh lines it could Mm -hmm. be a little lift or a hauling refill Mm -hmm. but i think most people know filler should be something that enhances the lips yeah right that's what you all you see uh, but that's probably a very small mm-hmm. the hardest part because it's mm-hmm. small and it's very sensitive but the rest of the face is just as important mm-hmm. and there's different type of fillers when do you choose when you would use like juvederm or restylane or belotero like is there an indication for each or it's just depending on the clinic what's offered you've done your research <laughs> <laughs> Or you've gone with a family member. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? In the States, like I guess in Canada, we're kind of blessed because there's a lot more filler brands mm-hmm. out there in Europe, right? And then the FDA is quite strict on which brands become available. So over here, you're right. Like we, we have Bellatero, we have Revenus, we have mm-hmm. Uberderm and you know, MERS brands, etc. They're all very similar, but they're also, they're, they're just cousins of each other different personalities and you know some of it depends on the company support mm-hmm. it's we choose it based on well is this company going to back up that product and mm-hmm. product never going to go out of stock or like they'll mm-hmm. provide support and education mm-hmm. for people in the clinic one of the reasons why we choose what we choose other one is really what are the results we want to develop mm-hmm. we want to deliver right are we trying to develop something that's more of a you know, softer lip protocol so it looks mm-hmm. natural or are we mm-hmm. trying to do a lift so we need something mm-hmm. that's more cohesivity so we choose our products based on that the mm-hmm. brand is not as important mm-hmm. the rheology of the mm-hmm. product use the rheology describing kind of the, the property of the filler how it feels how, how mm-hmm. long 
last, how elastic mm. it is. So I don't choose based on brand. You got it. And most of these fillers are hyaluronic acid based or yeah. are there other forms available? So the fillers that are reversible and are probably mm -hmm. the safest are mm -hmm. hyaluronic acid based. Mm -hmm. So the popular lines like Shubiderm, Bellatur, mm -hmm. these are all hyaluronic acid-based fillers. There are other types of fillers. Probably have heard of ABS or mm -hmm. Sultra. These are older fillers mm -hmm. that are still used for people who are looking for a little bit more longevity of results because mm -hmm. semi-permanent fillers mm -hmm. are considered permanent like silicone. I always say if our faces are changing because mm -hmm. our bone structure changes, our skin changes. You mm -hmm. probably don't want anything permanent in your face. Yeah. You want to be able to, you know, if, if there's yeah. it moves a little bit, you want to be able to somehow dissolve it or re-sculpt it rather than something that just sits there and you can't get rid of. Most fillers we use are aging. And speaking about radius, though, I know that traditional has been used for like HIV buccal fat atrophy right especially yes yeah and if someone is in chemotherapy too right there's a lot of bone resorption and people would like to i guess lift up <laughs> their face again given that radius is a little bit older are they still used for those reasons in other parts of the world? They are. They're definitely used. Like radius and sculpture are still, I guess it depends on the clinic, right? Mm. They can provide longer lasting results. They're considered biostimulators. Mm -hmm. so they not only do what HA fillers do, which is lift or soften or mm -hmm. Kill a mind. They also can stimulate your body to produce mm -hmm. type one collagen and make mm -hmm. the skin quality seem better mm -hmm. and tighter. Mm -hmm. So there are certain things that you can deliver with Sculptra and Radius that you probably cannot do with an HA filler alone. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of a, instead of using it to do everything now it's a bit more of a niche product right like yeah. i wouldn't put it in somebody's lips or nasal yeah. holes right but i may consider it in areas like a temple right mm -hmm. or the, the jawline or the chin mm -hmm. where it's more a bone structure so i expect it to stay for a long time and provide yeah. a little more of that tighter more rigid look another thing that it can do is that you know those crepey skin you get as you age um mm -hmm. it's it's not so much that you need volume there per se it's just the skin mm -hmm. great mm -hmm. they dilute these products mm -hmm. to almost nothing like it's very diluted and then you kind of inject little doses of it everywhere and that it's really just to boost the skin quality great and in regards to collagen i think during the pandemic and everyone's in lockdown everyone's been on the internet searching everything up right and so many theories came out so many skincare myths came out and i think one of the big ones is collagen how effective if effective at all are collagen supplements for the skin like collagen pills and collagen masks and collagen powders and all of those things yeah and i think we discussed that last time or i yeah. saw you discussing this dr sky right yeah. i know he's not a fan <laughs> so the thing is I mean, if you're using these collagen masks and, and all these external collagen are they going to be absorbed mm -hmm. by skin right it sounds mm -hmm. great <laughs> so so the thing is you have these you know tight junctions for a reason in your skin mm -hmm. get protected from the external mm -hmm. environment so you're you're not gonna get the benefits from any of these mm -hmm. the collagen supplements I, I would say the evidence is limited so there's some evidence showing that it does work maybe for mm -hmm. hair 
quality. But there's some evidence that shows that it doesn't do anything at all. In fact, I think most people that we all know we have collagen loss. And the first thing people look for is, well, well we're going to lose collagen or we're going to take collagen. Uh, that, that's definitely not kind of the response I would have towards this event, but it takes a lot of education to kind of know that. If we're talking about collagen in the skin, and most oftentimes in the face, mm -hmm. we talk about collagen induction therapy. Mm -hmm. So like filling, right? That's mm -hmm. the more popular mm -hmm. creating these little channels and micro injuries to the skin and using your own body's healing mechanisms mm -hmm. to stick collagen growth. Now, for example, if I did four, my, I do microneedling every month, but if I did four microneedling sessions, I get a 400% increase in the collagen mm -hmm. right in my face. Mm -hmm. But if I took collagen supplements for those ones, <laughs> I highly doubt that my collagen level <laughs> change at all. Right? right? Yeah. So I, I don't I don't actually waste my money on those things mm -hmm. for more specific treatments. Yeah, and with microneedling too, I feel like everyone's been doing right for scars, acne <laughs> scars, yeah. Yeah, pores. Mm -hmm. And all of those um, vampire facials with PRP supplemented to their microneedling. Other than collagen induction therapy via microneedling, are there other ways for one to do it, like non-procedure-wise? So, like we said, supplements, maybe not. But how about topical skincare? Is there any effectivity to that at all? Yeah, so this is a hot topic. I mean, everybody knows that retinol... <laughs> is kind of the holy grail of, mm -hmm. of skincare, I mean, other than vitamin C and sunscreen, right? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. number three that's on the list because you've mm -hmm. got to do the first two. And the retinol is, is also the one that's the most important in building your collagen and maintaining your skin health. There's a little bit of a learning curve to it. You probably know a lot of people, it's like, oh, retinol made my skin dry. I was yeah. like healing and it just wasn't mm -hmm. working. I was red, I'm allergic to it. Mm -hmm. But you have to find the right kind. Right. And it really does stimulate collagen, right? Mm -hmm. And it changes your skin. And there's mm -hmm. the myth that it makes your skin thinner. And whenever yeah. that yeah. I oh, it makes it actually thicker. Right? Opposite. Yeah. <laughs> the opposite of what we wanted to do. And it, it definitely does that through research. And it's been used for such a long time, right? Either topical or oral for acne. I'm so thankful because you joined us in the Asian Care Unit for the July UV Safety Month in regards to the importance of sunscreen, not just for skin cancer prevention, but also for collagen production and prevention of fine lines and wrinkles. Because you know, most of that are caused by our UV rays. As someone who does procedures and things like this in the facility, in the clinic, all these Botox fillers, how much of a rejuvenation or maybe just the general progress in a person's skin can you attribute to getting Botox or fillers or microneedling versus skincare alone? Or do you think they work hand in hand that I'm using sunscreen? I should probably also do this procedure or whatnot. I think they work hand in hand. I guess in my clinic, because I have a large injectable clientele, some of us become specialists in injectables and any mm -hmm. restoration. Mm -hmm. But I never, I, I feel like I'm, I'm never, you know, talking to them just about, oh, we're mm -hmm. going to make you look better. Yeah. But we're also going to talk sunscreen, right? And clearing their acne, right? Mm -hmm. For example, I have a lot of young clients that are, mm -hmm. You know, always you know coming in to do their lips, but with the mask wearing, there's a ton of acne, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And or my older clients who I'm doing maybe like a Botox or something, mm -hmm. just the lines go away. But mm -hmm. you know, the skin texture is not great. Thing is, if you don't keep your skin healthy, if mm -hmm. the skin, the superficial skin, doesn't have mm -hmm. enough collagen, 
the Botox doesn't work quite as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's really our job to do it all, mm-hmm. right? to kind of provide the background information of the mm-hmm. whole thing. And it's not hard. It's not hard. Mm-hmm. You have to keep the regimen very simple and straightforward. I really hate it when people prescribe this long list of, you know, growth factors and, and this yeah. and that, AHAs, BHAs, and there's like yeah. 10 on there. You yeah. don't need all of that, right? Yeah. You just you just need your basics to mm-hmm. skip to start with, right? You need your mm-hmm. sunscreen, you need your vitamin C, you need a good moisturizer, mm-hmm. and then you need your retinol at night and a moisturizer again. Just if you just start with that, and, and that's that's a win. Mm-hmm. Got it. One of the common questions that I also got was oh, therapy. What is it? What does it do? And are there only a certain people who can do it or is it okay for everybody? Did you say, are there certain people that can do it? Yeah, like if someone is pregnant, can they still do that or not? Is it invasive? Is I think what people were asking. Okay, well, all therapy is almost minimally invasive or non-invasive. It, to me, it's less invasive than the microneedling. Because for microneedling, you're, you are creating these yeah. tiny microchannels, right? And you have to do all this post-care. Mm-hmm. And for all therapy, it really uses, you know, the same ultrasound machine mm-hmm. that you on the bedside it's the same kind of probe or transducer and you're reading it on a screen so you're very precise with it it takes a lot of skill to kind of read it well and you're delivering that energy you're bypassing the skin not creating any injuries to the skin you bring the energies below the surface so there's no downtime whatsoever there's no redness trauma nothing it's just you know it feels like a little bit of heat or elastic band it creates that collagen boosting it's, it's non-invasive, really, truly. Amazing. And how often would a person be recommended to, like, we'll do it again? Right. So it is preventative as it is, you know, restorative as, as providing that whole and kind of integration <laughs> with the skin, right? Mm-hmm. So we see the effects for about two years, but people are recommended to do it every one to two years. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's really just amazing how much science and medical technology, right, can bring about all these devices and all these procedures that can really help people, like you said, uplifting them. Also, if you just want to get it, just do it, right? (laughs) And that's what I also wanted to lean into. I got a question the other day for you about when do you tell a patient that it's time to stop? Like when it comes to lip augmentations or maybe non-surgical rhinoplasties. I think also with all the glitz and glamour and aesthetic medicine, even cosmetic surgery is, I feel like people have a stigma in the field itself, right? That it's there to prey in people's insecurities and to, oh yeah, just keep doing it, keep doing it. Uh, How about for you, Doc? How do you tackle that? Let's say a young patient wants to come in and do all of this stuff as a physician where this that coming yeah like when to tell them to stop right? yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean you probably know that there's a segment of the population that has a little bit of body dysmorphia yeah. right? a little bit of that and it's it's hard because they see it and that's all they can focus on and you mm-hmm. have to redirect them right mm-hmm. say okay you know we're focusing on one area but in proportion mm-hmm. to everything else this won't look good if you keep mm-hmm. on that one area mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of those things go wrong before mm-hmm. I would say I I think I'm known in my clinic to say no. (laughs) So 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 I I won't always say yes, especially to lip refills. And I'm I Mm. think the benefit of my patients. Mm -hmm. Uh, because if I think that it won't look good in in a year or two years or five years or ten years, and if Mm -hmm. I if I do damage, I just won't do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm very realistic. I, I just say, look, like it's it's a trend right now. Right. 
a trend isn't going to stay forever. Mm-hmm. You see these overfilled lips. It's like what those overfilled golf ball cheeks were maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. That's going to be a thing of the past in about five years, right? Yeah. Kylie Jenner kind of effect. Yeah. It's probably going to be gone by 2025. And you don't want to ruin your lips along the way by over-injecting and overfilling. Mm-hmm. That's the most common one right now, right? And and people, yeah. if they want to go to other clinics and get it done, that's okay. But I just, I would never want my name written all over the yeah. lips. That's what we're really <laughs> yeah that's amazing i know and and i've been so excited for you dog because you just started sparrow md oh, i've been so excited at first i saw i was like wait what is this what is this and then i realized that <laughs> it was under you um can you tell us about how the practice started yeah so our practice started in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> everything was shut down all the time yeah and we're lucky in Vancouver that, that we like never had a second lockdown, mm-hmm. but I effectively opened the clinic. I mean, it's very practical. I commute quite a ways to my oh. clinic where I worked full time and I had a third baby during the pandemic. It's not a COVID baby. I did not plan this. <laughs> and then I just, we decided, I decided to kind of create something that's closer to home for mm-hmm. me. And the concept of Sparrow is very special to me because I, I, I guess on the West Coast, the mentality of vanity, as you say, right? Oftentimes it's about, you know, just big lips or, you know, mm-hmm. I need this and it's, mm-hmm. it's all, all about the vanity. And I, I, I want it to come in the opposite way mm-hmm. and make it about self-care. Sparrow mm-hmm. in symbolism, it means a lot about, you know, welcoming atmospheres, about resilience, mm-hmm. about community. It's natural. So we went with that. And we also chose a very gender neutral name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because a large proportion of our population are female, but in reality, a lot of their yeah. husbands come see me too. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So it was meant to be very approachable. It's amazing. Well, I've been meaning to ask you a long time now, Doc, what does Sparrow mean? But I knew I was going to get it tonight in our <laughs> lives. So I yeah. got it's such a beautiful name. And I know that there's two physicians of you who are leading the practice. Yeah, so there's two physicians. We have a nurse, yeah, and then a few of our medical institution and our patient care coordinators. So there's there's me and there's Dr. Vanderwerk, and he is an eMERGE physician by training, husband. So, <laughs> and he's done always done aesthetic medicine. But during COVID, actually, he didn't because, you know, like he was he was self-quarantining for a lot of it, right? Mm. So now, hopefully, with it coming to an end, um, we're going to kind of come back to this. And he's really passionate. So he himself had a lot of acne. I know you had a lot of yeah. struggled with it. And he developed a, you know, a routine. But like back in the day, his routine was very simple. Right? It's like, mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. And nowadays, he's, he's got it more down-packed than me. Like, he's using... Oh all sorts of stuff so so because he has more problematic skin Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he has the pores the acne Mm -hmm. scar Mm -hmm. so and you know people can be very Mm self-conscious even looking for help right so we're going to do kind of a female and male it's kind of a clinic for the family type of approach amazing yeah and i agree with that with like self-conscious um self-esteem and that's why practices like yours are so amazing like you said from the start that you're there to uplift people and i'm just so excited for sparrow and what is it going to do 
eat in the future. I'm so excited to visit it too. I know it's kind of okay. it's kind of the other side of <laughs> to Hawaii. So this this is not too far. <laughs> That's true. I know Hawaii. Hawaii was a long trip. So. Yeah. Oh, you should you should fly to Seattle and visit Dr. Sugai. Sugai, and then go. Actually, I was actually planning that for for yeah. sometime next few months. That is so exciting. And dog, I know that you can get really busy in the clinic, especially in the outpatient clinic setting. It's like time is of essence too, right? You go in, you go out, and then the next patient comes in. At the end of the day, or outside of work, how do you decompress from it? Given that how stressful it can be at work. It's so hard, isn't it? Because I feel like all of our coping mechanisms are gone during COVID. <laughs> Tina here, Tina's in the background. So we were, I, I just saw Tina today, and I was chatting with Tina earlier about Soul Cycle and like spinning. Mm. And I am not, I am not an introvert. I, I do not. I know Tina's taken up exercising at home, but I, yeah. I like going out and to, to do exercise classes. That used to be how I. I didn't see it because I have three children, so I didn't see my friends over long dinners. It yeah. was like a session. Yeah. It's really hard during COVID, mm-hmm. right? We've all gotten our COVID 15s. Yeah, <laughs> right? So, you know, I, I meditate. I, I actually do meditate. Um, I find that easy to do. And I try to talk to my best friend who lives on the East Coast. So, I, right? You have to have a routine. Yeah. East Coast is the best coast. Uh, no offense to the West Coast. It's great too. Say the opposite. It's the opposite. People usually say the opposite. <laughs> no, actually, I agree. Um, I prefer the West Coast's vibe and the weather as well, especially the California setting as well. I've actually never been to any part of Canada, so I have <laughs> yeah. no idea how it is there, but hoping I could visit one day. Yeah, I, I, I grew up in upstate New York, actually, right? So um, I remember when I was going to Montreal for school and my high school, like I was high school and my um, friends at high school was like, oh yeah, you know, everybody lives in the igloos in Canada <laughs> <laughs> and it's so cold up there and it's like, yep. I was just, I was just, anyway, it's, 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 that's all I hear about. Each time I say Canada, they're like, oh, it's freezing or whatnot. I said I had to find out for myself. And that, after all that we have talked about today, there's so many students who also want to be in this field in the future, specifically, whether they have their own bouts of acting in the past or TMJ or have seen their parents going in this field. What is the one tip that you would give to a student who is pursuing this path, this long and stressful path of medicine? Yeah, it's it's a it's hard in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to get in takes a lot of work, as you mm-hmm. know, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of you know exposure to medicine, yeah. lots of volunteer work, and all the MCAT. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, it's it's definitely a career that takes commitment. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that the the one thing I would say to everybody who's beginning medicine is to keep an open mind mm-hmm. to see all the path it can offer you. It's truly mm-hmm. a very rewarding you asked me what i regret about this field and there's probably a lot that i can think of but one of the things that i'm very aware of is how in touch we are as a collective are with mortality right also just with the day-to-day living like it really was like from cradle to you know the end of the days for there's a very rewarding career but at the same time you witness all the pain 
your job is to be like a candle and to stay yeah. lit even when it's in the darkest of times. Yeah. Like yeah. just look at COVID. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? So you have to look after your own mental health. Mm-hmm. You have what you don't have, right? Mm-hmm. You cannot empower others without feeling empowered. Mm-hmm. So you've got to kind of learn how to do that and how to look after yourself. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And for someone who's solstice and I want to do aesthetics, I want to do cosmetics, what is one specific tip that you would have for those students? Oh, it's so hard because it's a very niche field. Yeah. I think if you try hard enough, you can do anything, truly. You have to have a passion for it and you have to mm-hmm. have a right to be a good injector. Um, mm-hmm. Practice a lot. Be mm-hmm. humble. Stay humble. Don't get caught up in the competition or drama because it's very... Mm-hmm. Uh, find good people <laughs> to be with. And, and I think it took me forever to find good colleagues to just mm-hmm. you know, like build report with because sometimes... Mm-hmm competition all the way right yeah um it's there is a community out there and you just have mm-hmm. to stay hopeful and, and, and stay positive having gone through it all and all the successes that you have had do you still experience imposter syndrome um <laughs> i think a lot of people have that imposter syndrome and i see <laughs> abby's so sweet and abby's visiting me uh, <laughs> and abby um you know i think it's very nerve-wracking to enter like the next phase like between mm-hmm. undergrad and med school mm-hmm. and even Ed school between pre-clerkship and entering mm-hmm. into clinical clerkship, people get mm-hmm. really nervous, right? It's like, oh my gosh, do I really know what I'm talking about? Because I just read a book yesterday that tells me what to do. And now I have to talk the talk and walk the walk. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's true. I think you just, like anything, it's mental health, right? Mm-hmm. You have to acknowledge and accept that you are a newbie and mm-hmm. there's a structure and a path and support behind you for a reason and and when people are like oh you know you don't know this but you can say well i don't know this i am new to it and i'm here to learn you gotta embrace it rather than like being really anxious about it right and as soon as you embrace that and then just the comfort with not knowing but if you don't know you can learn more then Mm -hmm. there's beautiful tips dr jacqueline dr jacqueline i know you're in the clinic, so which means you had to work today. Yes, it is the end of the day. Thank you so much for giving me time today to talk to me after a busy day at work. It was such a pleasure. I have been so excited for our talk for the past four months. Since we started talking, I'm after Dr. Sigai's live, I'm like, Dr. Jacqueline, we're going to have to find a day. And can you believe it? Like, time is just flying by, right? Let's say the um, calendar is just flying by. Just thank you so much for inviting me. I really love the different weekly seminars that you do. <laughs> Those of you that follow you here, I think that's great because it, it, you, really, you really get to see the different human side of the different mm-hmm. doctors kind of made their way to different specialties, right? Theology mm-hmm. or dermatology, mm-hmm. whatever else. Mm-hmm. Right, that you're doing what you're doing. I hope you keep me posted about mm-hmm. your patient process. I, uh, I know you're doing all of that. It's, a, it's, a, it's so exciting. I am so excited to talk. Thank you so much for all of your support. And I hope you get some rest for the night. I know you had a long day. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Doc. Thank you. Bye. Bye.